Okay, so there's a lot going on in the world today. I'm not going to spend very much time talking about it, except things are heating up. More and more threats and rhetoric from Putin to NATO, probably the main thing that's been going on this week. But uh, having said that, um, Paul's writing to the Philippians um, is personal because he's gained not just disciples for Christ, but a personal friendship. And I want to begin by talking about that. I'm going to be ending this morning uh, telling some personal stories of, and reading a short email from uh, one of my close friends who swore he'd never become a Christian. I'll tell you the story at the end. Um, Having said that, the reason I'm bringing it up, uh, the hour is late. And the Lord could literally come at any time. And we bought these books from James B. DeYoung called Miss the Rapture. And we put them out there. And um, they were gone in like five minutes. So what we did is we ordered 50 more. And, but we put a sign out there that says you can only have one. <laughs> and hopefully they'll all go and we'll order more. And um, when, you're, when you're buying them... Um, consider if you want more than one and just let us know that we'd like to give this away for Christmas present or or whatever. Basically, it explains what happened to us and um, what the Bible has to say about it. And um, he did a very good job, so they're out there. Um, We're selling them cheaper from what we're buying them for, which doesn't bother us at all. We consider it a good investment, but it's called Miss the Rapture. So if you want to pick one up on your way out, please do so. With that being said, Paul has already read for us all 23 verses. We will be finishing up Philippians this morning. So I'm calling this, this is going to be a little different Bible study because I want to make it personal and I want to begin it by having you think of somebody that, uh, as a believer, that you're particularly close to. A friend, a good friend. Um, usually it's people that we co-labor with or spend time with. We get to know them a little bit better. And um, because I believe that's what Paul is doing here as he's, um, we have seen the, the philosophy of Christian living, the pattern for the Christian living, the prize for the Christian living, and now we'll see the power for Christian living. All the others would be meaningless and useless if there were no power for them. A philosophy of life is no good unless there's the power to carry it out. A pattern is no good unless there is power supplied to have the pattern in our own lives. A prize is no good if we cannot achieve the goal. Therefore, power is all important. I would think one of the reasons that the Spirit of God did not let Paul end this epistle when he wrote in chapter three, verse one. And if you wanna look at chapter three, verse one of Philippians, it says, finally, my brethren. Uh, Why? Because he wanted to let us know today that there's power for Christian living. We need to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, which will be a verse we'll be reading this morning. We will find in this chapter that joy is a source of power, prayer, and the secret of power, and contemplation of Christ in the sanctuary of power. But I would add to that that it's being directed to certain people that he has grown very, very close to, And again, there are people that you are very close to that aren't believers. And as we wrap up Philippians and holding up this book, I want to exhort you in a loving way to take advantage of it and um, get your sharing in while you can. Because um, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to enter into the seven-year period of time. That's right around the corner. Everything's set up for it to happen. And um, so our time here is limited. 
the Bible talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. It implies a set number. And um, then right after that it says, and then Israel will be saved. So we have a set number that began at Pentecost. There was about 3,000. And they came to Christ, they were baptized. They were all Jews, by the way. The early church was all Jewish until Cornelius comes. And then we read later in Romans, but when the fullness of um, the Gentiles comes in, okay, the church is primarily Gentile today unless you're a Messianic believer. So there is somebody out there that the Lord is dealing with to get saved, and I wish you'd get your act together and get saved because I want to go home. Clear enough? Okay, that might be one of your friends, so take it to heart. <laughs> All right, this morning, I've entitled this Comparing Scripture to Scripture. This morning, we'll be comparing Scripture to Scripture. Why? Because we will see that a verse, particularly verse 4, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. And I want to compare it with others. That's why it's so important to teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse. The scriptures do not contradict themselves, but we can't take them out of context either, as we will see this morning. As we look at the first three verses, he's talking to um, issues that were going on there. Um, Let's just read the first three verses. He says, therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eurydice and implore uh, Sintachi, I guess, and I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these are people who had a personal relationship with Paul. And now it comes to the only problem in the Philippian church. There was a ripple on the surface, but it was not serious. Paul doesn't even mention it until uh, he ends this letter. Apparently these two ladies were not speaking to each other. We have already seen this when we admonished uh, the Philippian believers to be of the same mind in the Lord. He did not mean they must be carbon copies of each other. They may have differences of opinion about many different things, but that would not separate two people who have the mind of Christ. It is one of the glorious truths about the body of Christ that each member can be different and yet all are one in Christ. I think 1 Corinthians 12 talks a lot about this, different parts of the body. Um, The hand can't say to the foot, I don't have any need of you, because the foot's just as important as as the hand, or the eye to the ear. And so it makes a complete body, and God has given every person who's born again a gift, and we're told to use a gift to build somebody else's faith up. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given were given so that you would use it to build up somebody else. Good place for an amen. One exception, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, and that is the gift of tongues, which is said to be used for self-edification. When words fall short, God has given you, some of you, the gift of tongues, and um, it is used to uh, encourage you. But all the rest of them are used to build somebody else up. All right. Verse four is where I'm um, going to spend most of my time this morning and explain why I call this comparing scripture to scripture. And let's just read verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Now if I just use this one scripture and didn't give you any other scriptures to compare it to, what conclusion 
would you come to if you just read this one verse? The conclusion I would get is I'm to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. So I'm supposed to be rejoicing all the time. Well, in the context here, I understand what Paul's saying. But it is not when you go to other scriptures to be taken out of context and applied to something that is completely opposite of that. And I think you'll start tracking with me when I give you a couple of, of examples here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. <laughs> I laugh because uh, my title above this is the contention over John Mark. And when I conclude this morning, I'm gonna be talking about my BC friends, does everybody understand BC before Christ? And me hanging with them and being, we were tight. Everything, we did everything together. But one of the guys' names uh, was John Mark, and all my other one is Pat Gawhan. I'm gonna read you a little text that he just sent me. But I've, I, th- I thought it interesting that th- this issue that we're gonna read here is over John Mark. Let's pick it up in verse 36 of chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. (laughs) Well, that's what it says in Philippians. But that's not what it says here. But Paul insisted that they should not take him with him the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had gone back from the work. In other words, on a missionary journey, John Mark doesn't like like the way it's going, so he goes home. And now Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, by the way, he said, no, I want to take John with me. And Paul said, absolutely not. And I I just, I struggled with doing this this morning, this, this part of it to make you really understand what's going on here, so bear with me. So what happens here is Paul insisted that they should not take him, uh, the one who had departed. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted one from another. Um, Paul, I'm burning my son. John's coming with us. No, he's not. He's, he's my cousin, you know, I, I, you know he, he left, but he's coming with us. I told you once, Barnabas, no. Do you understand no? Tom, do you understand no? I'm under-dramatizing what's going on here because the contention was so severe, they, spark, they split. Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul went with, I think it was Silas. Yeah. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed one from another, and so Barnabas took Mark um, to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commanded by the brethren, commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, I thought we were supposed to rejoice in all things. That's what it says in Philippians. That's why we have to compare scripture to scripture and not take it out of context. And in context here, here's brethren that split up from each other over this issue. They weren't rejoicing. I was plowing yesterday in the lot, this is in my notes, and um, I wanted to get as close as I could to the dumpster. You know, they come and bring in the dumpster. Well, I wasn't looking at my big mirrors on the outside, and I tried to get as close as I could. So what do I do? I start going and smash all over. And I said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. (laughs) No, I didn't. I'll tell you exactly what I said. Oh, no. I mean, out loud, it just went, oh, no. I mean, praise the Lord for super glue. That's all I can say. Because I got part of it put back together and I went out there and found some more pieces laying on the ground this morning. So, no, I wasn't rejoicing in the Lord always. I was totally bummed. It's going to take me, well, I got half put together with some of the super glue at home. 
Turn with me to um, um, Romans chapter 16. And let me draw your attention to... All right, there was an issue that came up, somebody was causing division in the church. Verse 17 says, um, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses. And then say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. No, some guy was causing trouble in a church, causing division. He not only says, deal with the issue, uh, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, but avoid that completely. Well, I thought we're supposed to forgive and forget and get on with things. Not in this case. It clearly says what you're to do for a person who's going around causing division. You're not to have fellowship with them. Paul says it once again in 1 Corinthians 5 when there was sexual immorality. In the church, we thought he was a Christian. She thought she was a Christian. But they were sleeping together. And um, Paul did not say, well, rejoice in the Lord always and uh, have him make up, kiss him make up, and everything will be fine. No, he said, kick the guy out. Pray for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. The most loving thing you can do in that situation, is kick the guy out of the church until he comes to his senses, and by the way, he did. He repented. So when we read 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, now be careful, he really did repent. And in this case, he says, I want you not only to have him back in fellowship, but I want you to love on him. So that uh, he, he knows what he did is wrong, and he doesn't want people going, oh, this guy, remember what he did. None of that. You got away and you love on him and you remember some of your sins. Let's put it that way. It'll be a lot easier for you to love on him and uh, have him be restored. What are you saying, Dwight? Comparing scripture to scripture. Sometimes you gotta kick him out. Sometimes you gotta just forgive him and forget about it and, and, and get on with it. And you can only accomplish that by ta- not taking a scripture out of context and comparing it to what other scriptures say about it. So let's go to Luke chapter nine for one more. Nine verses three through five. Pick it up in verse three. The Lord is, uh, the first time he sent him out, he didn't let them take anything, any bread or, or money or swords. But when he sent him out the second time, they had all that. They had food, clothing, and swords. But here we read in verse three, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whosoever house you enter, stay there, and uh, from there, depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, you say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. No, what does he tell them to do? Shake the very dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Well, that isn't very loving. Well, we're told not to cast our pearls before swine. Well, what does that mean? You don't take something that this precious and have people blow it off and say, I don't want anything to do with it. You shake the dust off your feet and you go to somebody who will listen. Uh, Sometimes you only have one shot with somebody. Sometimes it's over a period of time. So we need wisdom and discernment. Uh, in this case, it looks like a, a one-time opportunity. So Paul is saying, if they don't want to hear it, you shake the dust off your feet. The Lord is actually saying this. And um, um, off your feet as a testimony against them. You had the chance to hear it and you blew it off and you'll be held accountable for it. But what he did not say is rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Nope, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. Let's see if we can make it personal. Um, You have a friend, and let's say he took the jab, and he died the next day. And I mean, we're talking one of your closest friends here. And... When you hear the news, you don't go, well, praise the Lord. 
this end, this friend isn't saved, okay, that, that you have. I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. That's what the Bible says. Is that what you do? No. I cannot handle the thought for a couple, more than a couple seconds because I know what the Bible has to say about hell and its eternity. Being left alone all by yourself with only your thoughts to yourself, living with yourself. And um, I can't say, well, I'm just gonna rejoice in the Lord always. No. I'm honest when I say I can't think about it long. I know too much about what the Bible has to say about this place that he calls hell where the worm does not die and the flesh and the body that's given to you does not um, deteriorate. We need to compare scripture with scripture. What are the circumstances? Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Uh, You know this. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose, under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. I remember before I was saved, And, um, of course, this is the song, Turn, 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 where it comes from. And I remember somebody saying to me, do you know that this song comes from the Bible? I says, it does not. (laughs) This song was written by Pete Seeger. Everybody knows that. And the birds are the one that made it famous, and everybody knows that, too. And he says, nope, it's in the Bible, and that's where they got it from. I says, no, it's not. And I was adamant about it only to find out I was wrong and they were right. The words for turn, 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 Pete Seeger put it to music and the birds made it famous. But where it comes from and my point for going here, it's a matter of comparing scripture to scripture. There's a time for everything, but it's not always a time of rejoicing in the Lord. That's part of the list here. But when you put it in context, Um, the wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. And he's saying, it depends. What's the circumstances? Is it a time to keep or a time to throw away? And depending upon the circumstances and you're praying about it, then we're moved to action um, with that. The necessity of teaching the whole counsel of God. Let's make our way back to Philippians. We made it through the first three verses, four verses. Now, in verses five and six, we read, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. If that was ever more true, it's now. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I believe the word being anxious and worried can almost be interchangeable. And with that being said, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter six. Matthew six, to me, some of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Picking it up in verse 25, um, Jesus is saying, therefore I say to you, do not worry. I believe you can interject the word, be anxious. Do not worry or be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body and 
what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? Look, the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Which of you by worrying could add one cubic to your stature? In other words, you're anxious about something and you're worried about it. And what it's saying, there's nothing you can do about it. What's gonna happen if you're anxious and worried? You're gonna toss and turn all night long. You'll have no peace at all because you're anxious. You're worried about something. And the Lord is saying here, don't worry about it. (laughs) So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they uh, neither toil nor spin, and even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, And this is one of the greatest scriptures ever. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, I press ahead. So what happened yesterday, you gotta let it go. Forgetting those things that are behind. And here we're told, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because you got enough on your plate to think about today. And I think it's one of the most liberating scriptures, if applied practically, that anybody could ever have. I mean, I just have to worry about what's going on today? That's what the Bible teaches. And forget about yesterday, that's past. Our past was all taken care of when Jesus Christ died on the cross. All my sins. I was listening to a a new Christian on the radio this week. And he doesn't know the scriptures. Um, Well-known radio broadcaster worldwide. But he's a believer now, over the past year. And uh, he tries to preach the gospel. And yesterday he just totally blew it. He says, my problem is I can beat myself up better by myself than anybody else. I'm beating myself stuff up for when I was doing cocaine and womanizing and, and he, he's got all this weight and he says that I can beat myself up better than you could even try. Well, obviously he hasn't found the scriptures yet about um, when Jesus died on the cross, all your past sins are washed away. And so faith, well, there's faith, hope, and love. And so what is our hope? well, I'm going to heaven. The blessed hope is called the rapture. I mean, we could be out of here any day. So if my past is forgotten and my hope for the future is rapture to be face-to-face with the Lord, faith, hope, and love, what does it free you up to do? It frees you up to love. Owe no man anything except to love one another. And that's possible when the past is forgotten and we got the hope for the future, another good place for an amen. And this is what Paul tried to get across to the Philippians because he really loves these guys. And he wants to see them understand the biblical principles so you're not like this radio host who just doesn't get it yet. Somebody's gonna email him and said, you need to read this verse. <laughs> and little by little, he's growing in his, in his walk with the Lord. He's very sincere. He preaches the gospel openly. He talks about Jesus openly. But he's just a baby Christian. And maybe Christians are on a big time learning curve. All right, back to Philippians chapter four, verse seven now. We'll look at um, seven through 13. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. Not the bad things, meditate on the good things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Remember, they're young. The Philippian church was young. And he, this is a prison epistle. Um, that you saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So down to 13, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at least your cares for me has flourished again, although you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. In other words, Paul's saying I don't have my hand out asking for stuff. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Obviously, Paul has never been to Wisconsin in the wintertime. Especially next week, coming up. I know how to be abased, and I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, the daily circumstances and the things that he goes through, Paul said I could take him or leave him. Um, whether I'm hungry or full, doesn't really matter. It's not gonna stop me from doing what I'm doing. I'm just gonna keep on preaching the gospel and I'm gonna do it for your benefit. Again, this is personal to these friends that he had in um, um, Philippi. Now, in 14 through 19, he says, nevertheless, having said all that, that he can be content with nothing, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that bounds to your account. The Bible says give somebody a glass of water in the name of Jesus and you won't lose your reward for doing it. So he's saying, I want this, you gave this to me, you're gonna get rewarded for it someday is what he's saying. Indeed, I have all and abound and I'm full, having received from Aphrodite the things which were sent for you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. At this point, I'm gonna do something I really haven't remembered doing before on 17 and 18 here. Evidently, that church in Philippi had been getting dividends on their contributions right down to the present time. Paul wrote them this epistle to thank them. Thank you letter. Uh, We are studying the epistle today. We're profiting from this study. This is a part of the dividends of their contribution. They have stock in the apostle Paul. If you please, they still have a part in getting out the word of God. And then in verse 18, he says, but have all and abounded. I am full, having received from Aphrodite. He is tight with people that he mentions by name. Uh, Aphrodite being one of them, and Timothy. He was very close to him. He called him his son in the Lord. The priests in the Old Testament went into the holy place to put incense on the altar, and it ascended with a sweet smell. 
A Christian in his giving is like a priest making an offering to God. When it makes, when it is made in the right spirit. It is as Paul saying to the Philippian believers that is a sweet aroma to me, a sacrifice acceptable to God. What you guys are doing and you're giving and you're contributing. Let's take the goats for instance. I talked to Bastia yesterday. I had to come out and Bastia was on the phone with Judy Glaze and I was making some copies and she said, Bastia, Dwight just walked in and he said, put them on, put them on. And so we got to talk for maybe 10 minutes or so and um, the big concern that you won't hear in the news is just how bad Port-au-Prince is. It's completely controlled by the gangs. And uh, that's a problem. And I said, Bossy, I have a question for you. I've been to Carnet and Hinch many times over the years. Where in the world are you gonna get 200 goats? <laughs> he says, we'll have to go to four different markets in order to do it. So they'll have to go to four different markets and um, some of the gals, I don't know who's actually doing them, they're putting, making little markers uh, to put on the, the goat's uh, ears so they know if they wander off uh, where they belong and who they go back to. And um, um, he, would, he would be one of the people that I would say that like Paul and Timothy, I mean, he married... Um, um, Betty from church here. She was our first gal in 1981 to go to our Bible school in California. Went on her first missionary trip to Haiti. Fell in love with it. Had to go back. And she did. Since 91, she's been a part there. Uh, Betty's with the Lord now. She got that mosquito bite. I forget what it's called, but it's deadly. And... Um, uh, as as a result, that, that took her life. But um, I went down, I, I married him down there, and I, I buried uh, Betty down there. And um, my point that I'm making here and working up to is personal relationships that we love all the brethren. Good place for the amen? But let's face it, there's some people that you're close to, all these guys at Ben's Prayer. I know these guys better than most people in the church. Why? Because they tell us what to pray for. And um, they share personal things in their life that I wouldn't ordinarily hear. And um, that's where I'm going now with Bastia because uh, people really don't realize just how talented this guy really, really is. He's a phenomenal musician. Um, all right, I'm getting sidetracked. I might as well get more sidetracked. He actually taught real worship to the churches in Hinch because a worship team, before we started going down there, there would be like 18 guys and one guy who was out in front. Imagine the temptations only instead of four of them, you got 12 of them, okay? And then you have the lead singer out front. Well, Bastia's group was the group in town. And Bastia was the guy who was out front. And it wasn't until he came up here, he was our bass player for a couple of years when he was um, part of Calvary Appleton. And um, uh, he was just an extremely gifted man. And my point is, we got to be close because of that, that connection that's down there. Um, and this was a personal closing letter we read in chapter three, but finally, brethren, but then he gets sidetracked and he writes a thank you note. And he has names and individuals of a deep love for certain people. I wanna give you an Old Testament example of this and have you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel 20. Tell a little bit the story about Saul and Jonathan. David, David and Jonathan. Jonathan would have been Saul's son. David was returning from battle from the Philistines one day 
and they were greeting him. The whole town was out greeting him. And the girls came up with a song. And it went something like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And did that get under Saul's skin? To the point where he was going to kill him. He was going to take David right out. Well, Jonathan and David had built this bond of friendship, a covenant. They even called it a covenant. And there was a deep respect and love that Jonathan had for David. So if you look at verse 17, and Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And we have this, I'm going here because to make the simple point that you have people that you are so tight with that you would do anything for them just because you really do love them that much. And I am going somewhere with this because um, I got this from my friend Pat Gohan this week. And... um, I'm actually going to read it as soon as I find it. Okay, it is right here. All right, this week. Greetings, Dwight. Grace and peace to you. I'm heading towards Africa. Remember what a faithful friend you have been from the beginning. And when it's from the beginning, I'm talking our BC days. We were this tight. Keep up the good work. There's a special crown awaiting for you, my friend, Pat. So this is special to me, very, very special. Because when it says the beginning, I'm talking about times that um, we had a rule. We lived on Lake Butamore, and the rule was between John Mark, Pat, and myself, we had to be back by four o'clock. Why? Because that's when the sun set. And being hippies, we liked just watching the sun set. <laughs> under certain conditions. (laughs) And uh, we just, we were tight. Uh, We would be 10 o'clock at night and we'd say, who wants to go to Aspen? I do. And we had a rule. And the rule was majority rules. One of us always wanted to go. And one of us could probably talk one of the other ones into going. Majority rule, we're off to Aspen or wherever. But we had this covenant of friendship between us that all three of us were that tightly bound together. And then something terrible happened. I got saved. And um, we lived in in my generation uh, in what was affectionately called the greenhouse. And everybody in Oshkosh knew what the greenhouse was all about. It was about buying things, use your imagination. And that was the place to be. They, they've since torn it down, it's not there anymore. But all those guys lived there. When I got saved, I had to move up into the attic. That's where they put me. And um, we had a friend. I had um, quit doing any kind of drugs whatsoever. So I was out of the circle, so to speak. And we had one day a friend who drove 200 miles out of their way to come and visit us on their way back to New York City. And um, she basically said, well, let's get high. I said, sorry, don't do it anymore. And John, John Mark was there, but Pat wasn't. He looked at me one day after becoming a Christian and he says, Dwight, if it's the last thing I ever do, I will never become a Christian because I see how it has messed you up. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Well, he, when this friend came by, he drove 200 miles out of the way, they, they had one thing in mind, and that was to get high. And I just said, sorry, don't do it anymore. They go like this, Dwight, I drove 200 miles out of my way. You are going to get high. And I said, if it'll shut you up, all right. (laughs) And what I did, I took one hit of this thing, and I was so disappointed in myself 
and I felt guilty. I was wondering, where, where's Pat anyway? You know what Pat was doing that day? He was walking the streets of Oshkosh, trying to find a church with an open door. That's what he was doing. Well, I was so bummed out with myself, I went and sat on the front porch, and um, I see him coming. And I go, oh no, not in this condition. And he just took one look at me, and he shook his head. That was the last time I ever did that. And I went and I hit my knees, and I said, Lord, I pray whatever it takes that you save Pat Gawhead. And he was adamant that that was not going to happen. Fast forward to 1972, and there was an event called Explo 72, the first Jesus meeting of its kind in Dallas, Texas. And they had music group speakers, Billy Graham was there, Barry, first time I met Barry McGuire, he was down there, Larry Norman, Love Song, list goes on and on. And it was to evangelize Dallas, filled up Dallas Auditorium, where the Cowboys play, and we went witness, witnessing every day. Well, instead of going home uh, when it was over with, I wanted to go to Aspen and wit- witness to my old best friends. Well, I was in Dallas, John, Mark, and Pat decided to go to this religious festival, but it was an off-the-wall religious festival. And um, up in Granby, um, Colorado, if you know where Granby is, in that part of Colorado. And while he was up there, there was a forest fire. And they were asking for volunteers to help fight the fire. So Pat volunteered. Hops on the back of a flatbed truck and they're lickety split going around these mountain roads and curves and on the way to the fire. Well, Pat's truck went over the cliff. Two people got killed. And Pat, as, by the way, he had black hair down to here, okay? And he ends up at a Denver hospital. And he didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. He had 100% amnesia. Half of his head was shaved here, no hair on the side. And on this side, long black hair all the way down to here. He didn't know that he hated God. He didn't even know who he was. All that was in the room was a Bible. And he doesn't know his name, he doesn't know nothing. He takes the Bible, opens it, and he reads it, and he says, you shall long to see another day of the Lord, and you shall not. And it scared him to such a point, he said, God, if you're real, heal me. Immediately, he remembers everything. And he wasn't supposed to travel, stay in that, he was supposed to stay in that bed for a week. Pat being Pat, got dressed, Went out on the highway, stuck his thumb out, and hitchhiked all the way back to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He says, Dwight's the only one that's going to understand what happened to me. I wasn't in Oshkosh. I was in Aspen. (laughs) Witnessing to my old friends. And I'm telling this story for a reason. He's very, very special to me. And what he's done from where he, he could have went on to graduate school. He's very, very bright. He graduated from Green Bay with the same time Terry Ann Musin, you know, Terry Ann Musin. Uh, they were friends. And so what does he do? He gets back in the road, hitchhikes all the way back out to Aspen. And one of the most memorable days in my life was a knock on the door, and here's Pat, Jesus smile. Here, halfway down this side completely bald on this side. And he looks at me and he says, well, praise the Lord, Dwight. Well, I went outside and cried like a little baby because I knew it was real. God had saved my best friend. And uh, I, I wanted to close up with that story this morning because when people come to Christ, that is um, what happened to Pat we call a road to Damascus conversion. Very dramatic. That doesn't happen usually. Usually it's what you have in the back of your bulletin, which is what you need to do by following the Romans road.
and just believe it. Yeah, but it didn't feel anything. It doesn't matter. You just believe it. And in time, God's going to take you from being that baby Christian who's on a learning curve, and you're going to grow, and you're going to mature, and the bottom line is you're going to form friendships like you've never believed possible. You're going to love people like you've never loved them before. Paul makes comments here about um, to greet those that are in Caesar's house. As we're looking through some of some of the scriptures here, um, and that means, can you can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul in prison? <laughs> You're going to get saved. <laughs> You're going to get saved. And he said, make sure you greet those guys that, that are at the um, uh, work, working for Rome and give them my, my greetings also. All right, let's close it up with the conclusion, verses 20 to 23 as we finish. Going through God's word in the book of Philippians. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with you greet. Oh, here it is. And the saints greet, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So the Roman guards that he was with, he led to the Lord. Make sure you especially greet them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And we will be getting, well, no, next Sunday's Christmas, we'll be doing something a little different. But let's stand and we'll close with prayer. Lord, help us never take for granted our brothers and sisters that we've grown close to. And we pray, Lord, as your word tells us that we are to be like Jonathan, who said he loved David more than his own soul. Uh, Your word tells us that we're to esteem others higher than ourselves. And um, Lord, Continue to work in us to create this attitude of gratitude and just be thankful and content. As Paul said, whatever state he's in, he's learned to be content. Uh, Help us be anxious and not worry about yesterday. Help us not worry about tomorrow because we have enough to think about just today. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us through your holy word. And Jesus, we love you and thank you so much calling us your bride, and we long for that day, Lord, when we experience the blessed hope of being changed and conformed into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.